You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, welcome to everybody on this wonderful summer time, time that we have together, this summer day. So Siena, Cyprus, downtown, the Loop as well, and our radio ministry as well. We have got some great things going on in our church. Before we jump into the scripture, I just want to tell you two bits of good news. I hear good news all week long, but I just want to give you two bits, and I think uh, you're going to be really encouraged by this. Um, in the last nine weeks, we have a huge ministry called Legacy 68.5. It's our adoption and foster care ministry. In the last nine weeks, we have placed seven babies for adoption. How about that? Can we just give a cheer for that, all campuses? Seven little babies. They sent me the, I saw the pictures of them, just the cutest little babies you could ever imagine. Um, Also, I heard this week that in May, in the month of May, our faith centers which we have faith centers all over the city and we give food and clothing away and we just help people if they're in a place where they can't pay their bills. Um, We help them with all that sort of stuff. Let me give you a couple stats on what happened there. Just in the month of May, 3,000, wait to the end, I'll let you go crazy applauding. 3,200 people were given food and clothing through our faith centers. In one month, 3,200 people. We helped 114 families pay their bills. And so we get, you know, we get the receipts. We do it really in a right way. We know what we're doing here. $85,000 we were able in one month to help families pay their bills. And here's what's even better. And we led 40 people to Christ through those ministries in one month. Is that awesome? In the month of May. Let's just cheer for that. So I just wanted you to hear that. Cyprus and Siena and downtown and the Loop, we're all a part of this. We all can celebrate these things. I could go on the rest of the message talking about all the things that God has done in our church that he's going to do. Those are just a couple in the last nine weeks and in the last uh, month of May uh, for us to be able to celebrate what God is up to. But what's amazing is he's not only doing things outside of us, he wants to do things inside of us. And when we talk about my life verse, not mine, but all of us having a life verse, that's what we're wanting God to do. So this series of my life verse is for us to understand and to say, God, what's a verse you can give me that I can really grab onto, that I can say, this is a verse for me. And it's been great to see because um, at the bottom of your listening guide, you'll see there's a little QR code and there's a place where you can text. And with that listening guide, we're going to take some notes in a minute. People have been turning in their life verses, which has been wonderful. Let me just give you some stats of the last week since we kicked this off. 45% of our life verses are coming from the Old Testament. 60 or 55% are coming from the New Testament. Uh, We've got the three most common books that they're coming out of is Psalms, Romans, and John. Those are the three most common ones that are coming out. And so it's really been great to see that happening. So turn in your life verse, let us know what it is so we can just understand what God's doing in our church. Here's our goal for these weeks. We're gonna have some guest speakers during the time in which I'll be on sabbatical. They're gonna be incredible. Don't miss it. It's gonna be awesome. And they're gonna each preach on their life verse. Now, here's what we're doing. We're not sitting back as spectators going, oh, well, that's interesting. That's his life verse. We're being taught from the depths of the heart of someone about a verse of scripture so that we can learn and apply it. And then through that process, we're developing what's my life verse. I put for you at the top of your listening guide the the questions we went over last week because it's been fun to hear the conversations happening around family dinner tables and even in life Bible study classes. So four questions we're asking. What's a verse of scripture that's a deep encouragement to you? 
What's a verse of Scripture that encourages your passion for Christ? What verse of Scripture do you see, do you want to see or have seen lived out in your life? And number four, what verse of Scripture would you like quoted at your funeral or to wear as a piece of jewelry? Now, if you just kind of go through those questions prayerfully, then you can Google, I think it should be one on faith. I think it should be one on perseverance. I think it should be one on hope. Just Google Bible verses on hope and you'll get a whole list of them and you can start going through them. I know there's 31,000 verses in the scriptures. I get it, 31,000. So it's hard to pick just one, but pick one. And then for those of y'all that are like, I don't wanna just pick one because what if I'm stuck with it for the rest of my life? You, you can change it next semester, it's okay. We just want to get our hearts thinking about these things so that we can walk them out. So last week, I told you that my life verse for my personal life is John 3.30, that he must increase and I must decrease. And I showed you a picture that I have in my office, and it was at the downtown campus last week in Cyprus. It's with you guys this week out in the foyer. And so I've got this picture of John 3.30 in my office. He must increase, I must decrease. I want God to be lifted up in my life. And I want me to be humble in my life. I want to I want to go down as I can lift him up higher and higher. That was my life verse. That's my just me as my life verse. And I'm gonna share with you today my ministry life verse. Now I don't have like 10 more life verses coming up. This is it, okay? So I don't have like my then marriage life verse and then my kid life verse and then me and my mom life verse and then me and my kids life verse. I mean, you know, so this is it. That's all I got. My life and my ministry. And so this is my ministry life verse that I'm going to show you in just a second. And it's going to give you and give me four steps of impact in our life. Because this isn't where you just sit back and go, well, that's a great life verse for a pastor. This is where you say, this is an impact verse for a Christian. And that you go, I want to be a person of impact. Don't you want to be a person of impact? to make a difference in your life, to count for something and to leave a legacy, to do something special in this world. Don't have to be famous, don't have to be well-known, none of that stuff matters, it's all fading. But to be able to really make a difference, so I'm gonna show you four steps of impact for your life and my life that we can truly make a difference. Now, before we jump into it, I want us to go old school for just a minute. Do you remember our Difference Maker Declaration? If you've been here for a few years, we like said it like the Pledge of Allegiance every Sunday for a while. I ended up writing a book on it. It was a great thing, but I want us to be reminded. We actually teach this whole Difference Maker book goes with our eighth graders at First Baptist Academy. So it's, it's a great thing in our church, but here's, I won't make you stand. I won't make you put your hand over your heart. You can just say it right where you are, but you gotta say it loud. You gotta say it proud. Cypress, Siena, downtown, don't disappoint. Let's go for it. So here's what it is. You ready? We're gonna say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I was made for more than watching. I have a history-changing, difference-making, life-giving, spirit-empowered legacy to leave. Jesus, I ask you to work deeply in me and clearly through me as I pray, give, and go in your love. I am a difference-maker in Jesus' name, Amen. Doesn't that feel good to just say that out loud? It's awesome. We love that. It is on the wall in the lobby of the Loop. It's in the wall of the lobby at Cyprus. It's in the hearts of Siena, in the hearts of downtown. God using that in an amazing way for us to make a difference. So with that in mind, 
Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, and we're going to get to verse 8 is my verse, but we're going to begin in verse 1 so you can get the context, and then I'm going to teach you verse 8 of us being difference makers, of us making an impact in our lives. Here we go. Let's jump in. Verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, written by Paul. Here we go, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. So there's an impact. On the contrary, we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously at Philippi. As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation did not come from error, or impurity, or an intent to deceive. So pure hearts. Verse four, instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, here's Paul's heart, I love this, not to please people, but rather God, who examines hearts. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we did not seek glory from people, either from you or for others, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. That would be a, a mom, a motherly uh, nurturing and nursing her own children. Verse 8, here's my verse. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. That's verse eight. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives because you had become so dear to us. That verse eight is my ministry verse. Let's unpack it one by one. I want you to take your listening guide. I want you to take a note. They're real short blanks, so you should be able to fill them in real easily. Here's the first one. I care. I care. See if you could finish this statement with me. You've heard it before. You've heard it many times before. People don't know how, people don't care how much you know until they know, right? You've heard it before. Caring is the most important thing. And I love verse eight because it says right there at the beginning, we cared so much for you. We cared so much for you. Now this care it's a Greek word that means to cherish or to nourish. It was used of birds that would cover their young or cover their eggs. So it says, I'm going to give you this great care. In Deuteronomy 22, it's used of the birds covering their eggs. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, it's talked about Christ's care for the church. He says, I care for the church. So caring like a mother's love in verse 6 we see. If you jump down to verse 11, you'd see a father's love. And right in between a mother and a father's love, there's this ministry moment Paul has. He says, I want you to know how much I care for you, care for you. Ministry happens, impact begins when we really care for people. Can't just be we want to do something. Can't just be we want to make an impact for ourselves. We have to genuinely care for people. That is so important. So I ask you this question, who do you care about? Who do you care about? Now let's take it a different level because we all go, well, I, of course I care. But, but who, what do you really, really care about? I, I care about people having good health. But there's people that care about people having good health so much, they go to medical school to become a cardiologist. There's something different, isn't there? 
I care about students' education, but there's students or there's people that care so much about students' education that they say, you know what, I'm going to commit my life to homeschool my kids, or I'm going to commit my life to go to school to become a teacher. I'm going to commit my life to kids and making a difference in their life. I care, but they care at a different level. Do you see it? There's folks that care greatly about, about unexpected pregnancies, greatly. We all do. That's why we cheered when we said, here's these seven kids that have been adopted. We cheered for that. But there's some that care so much that they commit their lives to leading Bible studies for unwed mothers and being in that situation to counsel. Do you see? There's a difference of that. And that's okay. That's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. So we all care, but when ministry happens, you find out what you care about. Do you see it? So I care greatly about teaching the Bible and loving people, and that's why being a pastor fits perfectly for me. I care about a lot of other things, but I really, really care about this. And you do too, no doubt about it. I really care about this, and I really care about teaching in this moment because I really want you to get this. This means a lot to me that you would get it. So I care enough that I'm going to spend hours and hours studying every week, getting things ready, getting prepared, getting my heart right, all those things. And that's my care to get that leadership and to be able to do that. Now, when we care about things, that's where it all begins. We cared so much for you. What do you really, really care about? And when you really, really care about something at that level, begin to pray about that and say, Lord, have you given me a passion for this? Have you given me a heart for this? What is it? Because here's what happens. There's so much to care about, and particularly in our world, there ends up being where we just get some care fatigue. We just get care fatigue. It's so hard to care about all these things. But when you realize God's put something on your heart, put something on your plate, what do you really, really care about? Doesn't mean you don't care about, it just means God's gonna use you to care about something deeply. And if you could put your vocation with that, and you could put your passion with that, and you could put your extracurricular time with that, and you could put your study with that, and you could put your heart with that, you put your family with that, now you got something really going on. Do you see it? And that could be a whole lot of different things. You'll have to define that with the Lord. Now, here's what I find in my life is that when I really care about something deeply, it starts to really come out in your life, doesn't it? There was a guy named Hudson Taylor. He's a famous missionary in the 1800s and went to China and really just turned China upside down and opened up the mission work in China. Absolutely amazing. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of Hudson Taylor throughout our message. Hudson Taylor, when he was five years old, five years old, said this, when I'm a man, I mean to be a missionary and I wanna go to China. Five years old. Now, do you see God's beginning to plant a seed of care in his life? He want, I want to be a missionary and I want to go to China. As a five-year-old, he's saying that, which is incredible to think about that. See, care is also a gauge on our dashboard. You know, have you had a dashboard on your car? You could look. Care is a gauge on the dashboard to show that we need more rest and we're too busy. Here's what I mean. When you get too busy and you get too tired, you don't care anymore. It's true for me. It's true for you. We get too busy. We get too tired. We don't care anymore. We're just kind of hoping nobody asks us to get involved. Amazing quote. Please listen to this quote. Mark Buchanan, a book called The Rest of God. 
I've recommended it to you several times throughout the years. It's an amazing book. Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. Here's what he says. One measure of for whether or not you are rested enough, besides falling asleep in board meetings, is to ask yourself, how much do I care about the things I care about? When we lose concern for people, both lost and found, the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth, for beauty, for goodness, when we cease to laugh when our children laugh and instead tell them to quiet down, when we cease to weep when our spouses weep and instead we just wish they didn't get so emotional, when we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is not how can we help, but I hope this isn't going to involve me. When we stop caring about the things we care about, that's a signal we're too busy and we have let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed the ego, but starve the soul. Busyness kills the heart. Did you hear that? And so I ask you this, do you care about the things you care about? And if not, you have to step back and say, why don't I care about the things I care about? because we all want to care. Paul begins at this place. He says, I care for you. Ask God to restore your care. Ask God to restore your heart because truly caring for people, it's not a physical thing. Usually it's an emotional thing. And Paul says, we cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only our lives, but the gospel of God. The second point is this, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to help. He says, I cared, we cared so much for you that we were pleased, we were pleased to share the gospel of God with you. I cared so much for you that we were pleased to share the gospel of God with you. It says that they gave their lives, their own souls. They were happy. Now this means, in the Greek, it means that they were free and deliberate in their choice. They were deliberate about what they did. They were happy to help. A willful and deliberate choice. It was not a want to, or excuse me, not a have to, but it was a want to. And often we have to have our, our, our want to's got to get bigger than our have to's. And as you get older in life and you get more responsibility in life, here's what happens. Your have to's begin to eat your want to's. Hear that Cypress, hear that Sienna in downtown. Your have to's begin to eat your want to's. When you're a kid, you never say a phrase like this. You never say, let's do something fun tonight. But as an adult, you got a plan to do something fun because life's not as fun as it used to be. Sometimes Kelly and I on a date night will be like, what do we want to do? We can do anything we want in the entire city of Houston. I mean, fourth largest city in the United States of America. We can do anything we want. And we can't come up with anything besides, well, let's just go out to eat, right? And we go out to eat. And we get crazy and get an appetizer. You know, that's a wild moment. <laughs> Maybe even a dessert. The want-tos get eaten by the have-tos. And that's okay. That part of that's responsibility. That's being a responsible person. There's a lot of have-tos in life. But the want-tos are something we've got to let come out of our heart. And if we get to the things we really, really care about, here's the next thing about care. When you really, really care about that, you're going to want to help with that. Do you see it? So you really, really care about People knowing Christ in your workplace. So you're going to want to look for those opportunities that you can befriend somebody. You really, really care about people that are hurting in their hearts. So you want to cook that meal for them when somebody's in the hospital. Do you see it? And so the want to turns into a happy to help. Now here's where it gets. We back into God's will a lot of times. Oh, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh Lord, I don't want to do this. Instead, turn and say, God, I want you to use me. 
I want to be a difference maker. I want you to do something in my life. God, give me an opportunity to put my passion into a place of purpose so that I can see you moving in a great way. And here's what I'm afraid of, because I know Houston, Texas, born and raised here. We are good people that love people, that care for people. We are nice people. We say hi to people in the hallways. We say hi to them in the malls. We say, go ahead. No, you can go first. I mean, all these different things. We're good folks. There's, you know, just a sweet spirit about who we are, friendly people in Houston, Texas, helping our neighbors. But we can become so well socially skilled that we can act like we want to help people, but we don't really mean it. And we say, oh, if you need anything, and sometimes we put the burden on the people. Well, what can we do for you? If they're in a crisis, they're making so many decisions right now, they can't make another decision. Don't, don't put it on them. Just, just tell them this is what we're going to do. We've got a friend that's in the hospital. I hope that you'll pray for him. And we took his wife out to lunch yesterday and his name's Bruce. You can pray for him. And so we went and we just texted, hey, we want to pick you up for lunch. We went to the hospital. She came down from the hospital room. We picked her up for lunch and we had already gone on Yelp. We had already figured out what restaurants were close to the medical center that could do. And when she got in the car, we said, do you want a hamburger? Do you want Italian? Do you want Mexican? Or do you want just a menu? You can just choose whatever. Just releasing all the decision-making to be able to have her get in the car and drive and then we can just listen instead of being socially skilled and say, well, if you need anything, let us know, you know, which is good. I'm not saying that's bad, but we don't want to be so socially skilled that we're acting like we want to help people and we don't really help people. We want to help people and really make a difference in their life. And sometimes we say we want to help you and we don't really mean it. I'll give you an illustration from my own life. I was in elementary school and one of my best friends was a guy named Michael. Michael's mom was a lady named Gisela. Gisela was from Germany and had moved to the United States of America and they had never been to an Astro game. And Gisela worked for, worked for Gulf Oil. Remember Gulf Oil? And so Gulf Oil, and she got tickets one day to go to the Astros game and took me and my mom and, and her, Gisela and Michael, and the four of us went to the Astro game and we went to the Astrodome. And back in the Astrodome days, the bullpen wasn't in the outfield. It was on the sidelines or on the baseline right there on third base. And so before the game, I'm about eight years old, we get there and we're driving to the game and I'm telling Michael about all the Astro games I've been to. And I'm just bragging because I'm an Astro buddy in the fan club even. And I've been to all these Astro games. And so I see telling Michael, now I've got a foul ball at my house. My dad caught a foul ball for me and I've got a foul ball at my house. If we get a foul ball, I'm going to give it to you because this is your first game. And so if I ever get a foul ball, I'm giving it to you and I'll just, I'll catch it. You just don't worry about a thing. I'm eight, you're nine. I'll take care of it. And so we'll be able to get this. And I'll get you that foul ball. And I'm just telling about, I'm going to give you this foul ball, give you this foul ball, give you this foul ball over and over and over. Cause you and I both know what's the chances of us getting a foul ball right? Like, you know, 2%. And then I'm going to get a foul ball. And so I'm just, oh man, that's so nice. That's so, well, Greg, that's so nice that you get my, oh yeah, I'm, I'm so nice. I'm so nice. So we get there and we end up and our seats are right there on the third baseline. And they're about 10 rows up. They're good seats. And it's right there at the bullpen area. So I go down, as you can imagine, this will not surprise you. I get down to the rail, not afraid to talk to people. And I start going, sir, when you're finished, could I have the ball? Sir, when you're finished, could I have the ball? Sir, when you're finished, could I have the ball? So finally the pitcher was like, Kid, go back to your seat. I'll give you the ball when I'm done. 
So now like the player's interacting with me, talking to me here, because I'm bugging a pitcher. And so, so he finally finishes the warm-up and he looks up at me and he kind of does this. And I go running down and I get the ball and I come back to my seat and I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is so cool. And my mom says, give Michael the ball. And I looked at my mom with a straight face and I said, I said a foul ball. I didn't say a bullpen ball. I'm not getting, I don't have a bullpen ball. I got a foul ball. This is a bullpen ball. There is different about, and my mom, what do you, what, what do you think? She said, moms, give Michael the foul ball. She didn't care if it was a bullpen ball. It was a ball coming off the field here. <laughs> and I sat for about three innings in silence, pouting, because I lost this ball that I had said I was going to give you a ball, give you a ball, give you a ball. But I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And I was looking for any way to get out of it. Because that was a bullpen ball, not a foul ball. Then, first inning, one little thing I should have told you earlier, just kind of funny. We got up there and Gisela, the lady from Germany, she said with a big, booming German voice, when the guy got up to the plate, she said, what does the man with the stick do? Everybody turned around, and that's how we got started on that game. <laughs> Me with a hard heart, and us trying to explain baseball to this wonderful lady. Do you ever have in your life, no, God, I meant a, I, I meant a foul ball. I didn't mean a bullpen ball. And instead, let's be happy to help. Paul says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share the gospel of God with you pleased to share our very lives with you. So let's take that and be pleased to share the gospel of God. You know what Hudson Taylor, he said as a five-year-old, I mean to be a missionary and I mean to go to, to China. As a young man, he then said, I feel I cannot go on living unless I do something for China. That's what he said as a teenager. As a five-year-old, he said, I want to be a missionary and go to China. As a teenager, he says, I can't even go on living I can't even go on living unless I do something for China. I remember people when I was battling a call to ministry and thinking about that, I had a pastor that said to me this, he said, if you can do anything else, do it. But if you can't do anything else, then you say, God, I release to you to do this in ministry. Now, I thought it was like skill-based. I mean, if I'm bad at everything, I'll just do ministry. No, he meant passion. I, I just, I can't do anything else. There's an unction. I can do other things skill-wise. I can't do anything else heart-wise. When you care and you want to share, God's building your impact. What is it that you can't not do? Make that the passion in your life. At your workplace, at your home, in your church, go for it with that. Cared, shared. You know what? Jesus cared deeply. And Jesus shared his life with us. What did Paul share? It's in the next part of the verse. We cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. The third thing we have is, I want to share my life and my Lord. I want to share my life and my Lord. Now, remember, this isn't just for me as a minister. This is for all of us if you're a believer in Christ that we are to share our lives and to share our Lord. The word life means my own soul, my innermost being, to open up your heart. To share means to give something to someone 
by which you retain a piece of it. You remember, and I guess they're still around, but I remember particularly in younger days, girls would do this. They would give each other a different little locket thing and one would be a heart, it'd be kind of broken. And it would say like, best friend. It'd be like best friend broken up and one girl would wear half the best. You know, she had best fries is what she had. And then the other had end, you know, is what was happening here on the other. And what it is, is they broke something apart and they shared with each other a gift. One had one part of it and one has another part of it. That what, that's what this Greek word is getting to. That there's a sharing that cost on either side. There's a sharing that's giving on either side. So yesterday when we took our friend to, to go eat, she was a blessing to us. She was a blessing to us to hear her faith. We were a blessing to her, Kelly and I were, to be able to pray for her. And so there's a sharing that happens with that. And we've got to have that. Now, let me just tell you, it is a risk to be friends with people. Do you know that? Because real deep friendship and real meaningful relationships require some vulnerability. And that vulnerability is a risk. It's a risk. Because you may get hurt. They may get hurt. It's a risk to be friends with people that you work with because it may change at different times. It's a risk to be friends with your neighbors because they may leave their trash can out further longer than what you want it to be or not want to split the fence with you. I don't know. But to be able to say it's a risk, but we're willing to take it because if we're going to share the gospel of God, we've got to share our very lives. You see what Paul does there? He packages things together. It's not just the product of the gospel of God. It's the embodiment of the believer sharing the good news of Christ. You see it? So now we get back to our people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because now you've got a friendship and a relationship to build upon making that impact to make a difference to be able to really make a difference in their life. So that's why a lot of times the favorite teacher of a student is not the one that's got the greatest content. It's the one that's high-fiving at the door saying how much I love you and care for you. It's the one that's at the games. It's the one that's there. It's the one that's making a difference in their life. Those things happen in Cyprus and Siena and downtown and in the Loop, all over our city, all the time, sharing our lives with people. Is that important? Well, the Canadian Medical Association said in October 2017, social connection can lower anxiety and depression and can help us to regulate our emotions, leading to higher self-esteem and empathy and actually improve our immune systems. Listen to this last sentence. By neglecting our need to connect, we put our health at risk. Neglecting our need to connect, we put our health at risk. So he says, I wanna share my life with you and I wanna share the gospel of God with you. Just as a little secret sauce for understanding for you that I get to be your pastor, that's why I like sharing personal stories. I want you to get to know me, even if it's, thousands on one. I want you to feel like I'm a part of your life and I want you to be a part of my life. We've raised our kids in this church. They've gone to First Baptist Academy. They've been a part of the hub. They've been a part of Life Bible study. God's used this church in my children's lives. How awesome is that? And so that we, over these years, have shared life together. You prayed us through a miscarriage. You've been a minister to my, my wife as both of her parents have stepped into heaven. You've cared for us in hard times. 
We've shared our hearts with you. You've shared your hearts with us. And the gospel of God has furthered. And that, my friend, is what the church is, isn't it? Right? It's not me just coming up here behind a lectern and giving you a thesis. I get to be your shepherd. And the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Share your very life with people and share the gospel of God because your life won't change anybody's life, but Jesus' death will change everybody's life. You see it? The gospel of God that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could know Jesus as our Savior. And then Paul ends as we wrap this thing up. He says, we're so pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Why? Because you had become so dear to us. He comes back around and he says, I cared. But when we shared it, you became even more dear to us. Now, this is a serious one. Just, just for a moment, give me another five minutes. This is a serious Greek word here. You've become so dear to us. This is an unusual, unusual Greek word. And what it is, is it's a, a word of affection toward the grave. Listen. It's a rare word that refers to a mother's strong affection for her child. It's used as a grave inscription describing parents' yearning for their child that has passed away and seems to indicate deep affection and great attraction. So when Paul says, you have become so dear to me, he uses a word in Greek that's a rare word that is the yearning of a parent grieving over the loss of a child. Do you feel the tears and the depths in that? And that's the arm embrace that he says, I want to come around you and I want to share the gospel of God with you. And so for the men and women that are in our church that have lost children, this is Paul connecting with your heart in a way. And to be able to say, I cared. I'm happy to help. I've shared my life in the gospel. And then lastly, it's worth it. It's worth it is number four. It's worth it. If we were to go on through verses 10 through 12, you would see in the very end of, 10, uh, of 12, it says, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. So I just want you to hear my ministry verse to be able to give to you as an impact verse, the pain, the hurt, the heartache, the time spent, the, the, the inconvenient moments. It's worth it because you make a difference in somebody else's life. It's worth it because you get to see the joy of God at work, seeing God move in a huge, amazing way. So what do we do? Let's wrap it all together. We care. And if we don't care, what on the dashboard is giving you the, the, the reason? Are you just too busy? Are you too tired? Have you not really dug in with the Lord on what your passion is? Why don't you care? Why are you just in fatigue of care? And I've been there before. I, I know that feeling. I've, I've been watching the news. It's been DVR'd and I'll just fast forward through something that's a tremendous tragedy and I just fast forward through it because I just don't, donor fatigue in my caring. I can't, I can't donate any more care. It's just too much bad going on in the world. And I get that. But is there anything you really care about that God could use? So you care, you share or excuse me, you care, you're happy to help, and then you share your very life and you share the gospel of God and you realize that it's worth it. 
I've been taking Hudson Taylor with you along the journey here, so let's wrap up with some Hudson Taylor. When he was five years old, he said, I want to be a missionary and I want to go to China. When he was a teenager, God called him to, to missions. He called him to ministry. And teenagers, I want you to know, God can put a call on your heart, a heart and life, even as a teenager. You listen to God. God can have a plan for your life, even as a teenager. First time I heard that God wanted me to, to go into full-time vocational Christian service, I was a, just graduated as a senior in high school, about to go into college. Prayed an interesting prayer. I said, Lord, let A&M be known as a Christian university before I leave. I'm not saying it is, but I'm just telling you that God's kept me there a long time and God started doing something in my heart. That was when I was 17 years old. So never underestimate what God can do through you as a student. As a teenager, he had this call. 21 years old, he sailed for China. He didn't have any support. He was going from England and not really much support, but he trusted God. A couple quotes that I love from Hudson Taylor. He says, depend upon it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Then he said later, they told me you have 25 cents in the bank account of the Chilean Inland Mission. He said this, praise the Lord, 25 cents plus all the promises of God. Praise the Lord, 25 cents plus all the promises of God. So he got on that boat and he headed from England. He ended up, as you can imagine, in some difficult days. He said, and in one of his letters home, you'll never know what it's like to be absolutely alone amidst of thousands of people, to be despised and rejected, to have the love of Jesus applied to your heart, though, by the Holy Spirit. This is precious and worth coming from. He wasn't allowed to go any place but the ports. There was five ports in China at the time. Nobody was allowed to go inland. He decided, I'm going inland, and he headed inland to be able to share Christ with people. He went home because they got sick and then he headed back to, to China. When he headed back to China the second time, he realized it was even greater of a weakness for him. He trusted in God even more and brought 22 people with him. And then when he was there in China, they ministered 22 people. His wife died in childbirth. One of his children died. He remarried and his second wife died. He was sick and ill often, often, often he was sick and ill. But when he left, 42 years later, when he was there in 1895, there was 641 missionaries, 462 Chinese leaders at 260 missionary statements, uh, stations all over. Some of them were martyred for their faith, but let me close by saying this. What was his quote after he was a veteran missionary? Five years old, I want to be a missionary when I become a man and I want to go to China. Teenage years, I feel I cannot go on living unless I do something for China. And then as a seasoned veteran, having lost two wives and a child and been sick a big part of his life, if I had a thousand pounds, think of money from England, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious savior? And I tell you this, if you care, if you'll be willing to help, if you'll share your life and you'll share the gospel and you'll realize it's worth it, you know what you'll say? With whatever it is, everybody cares about, whatever it is you care about, you say, if I had a thousand dollars, I'd give it all to that. If I had a thousand lives, I'd give it all to that. God, use me through the heartache, use me through the headaches, and may I be a person that cares. So as we wrap this, what's your life verse?
Will you spend some time this summer holding on to and grabbing something that changes everything? Or will you just run errands? Just check email. Just make a few text messages. And not really care. I'm so glad I gave Jesus my bullpen ball. Because now I get to pitch. And God uses you. And he uses me. Find that verse and hold it in your heart. And if you had a thousand lives, give it to that. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We love you. Gosh, we love you. We need you. The Bible's a big book and there's a lot of verses in it, Lord, but we come and we ask you, Jesus, that you would show us what's, what's the one for us. What's the place that we really deeply care in our workplaces? What do we really deeply care about? Let us work from that, not from just a paycheck. And may we care, may we be happy to help, may we share our lives and the gospel, the good news, because it is worth it. You said in Hebrews, that Jesus said, by my joy, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. It's worth it. I just tell you, church, lastly, Jesus cared. Jesus was happy to help in your salvation and mine by dying on the cross. Jesus shared his very life with us to bring us the gospel of God. And he rose again from the grave to say it was worth it to die so that he could bring us home in a relationship with him. If you don't know Christ, ask somebody today about Jesus. Ask God for your life verse. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.